All right. Well, today, uh, some of you wondered if this day would ever come, but today I'm going to begin studying with you uh, this grand book of Revelation. Three and a half years ago when I became pastor, it's one of the things I, I promised that I would do, that I would uh, begin and um, teach you the book of Revelation. And so I am very, very uh, excited and looking forward to all that God would teach us and all that we could learn together uh, during these next probably two years is probably what it's going to take. So I hope you're up for it. A um, couple of years it's going to take us to... Um, can you all hear me okay? I feel like I'm reverberating back to myself. Is that, is, is that just me? It's very loud, okay. Shane, can you help us out? Hello. Hello. I like monitors too. They, they can be loud, but it's just tone me down from over there. I don't want to blow anybody's hair completely uh, back. Uh, so anyhow, the revelation of Jesus Christ is a wonderful, amazing uh, study. And what it will do, it will do a number of things. It will, if you're not a follower of Christ, it will draw you to him so that you will want to become a follower of Christ. And those of you that do know the Lord, it will deepen your relationship with him. And it will teach you so very much about, about prophecy or about uh, end times. I do want to say that I appreciate so very much your prayers for me as I undertake this prodigious assignment from the Lord uh, to teach verse by verse the book of Revelation. You say, well, why would you need more prayer than usual? Well, that's a good question, but think about it. If, if there is one message that the devil does not want to get out, it is, it is this message of the apocalypse, the end times. And so the spiritual warfare has been ratcheted up a notch on me, and maybe it has for you as well. How are we doing with voice? I just... It's just not good, y'all. The sound is not good. Y'all got to help me out, okay? Y'all got to turn me down. Just turn me down, all right? And that would be great. Y'all talk to me. Is that all right? Is that better? Okay, that is, that is better. Thank you so much. As I said a moment ago, there are going to be distractions. <laughs> there are going to be all kinds of things going on in our church, through our church, as we study this book. Some of y'all are like, man, you're making me a little nervous. This sounds a little too creepy that that would happen right when you said, you know, there are going to be some things. I'm just telling you guys, you got to hold on because this is going to be one spiritual roller coaster of a ride. And what will happen as a result of this, God will bless Great Hills Baptist Church. We will grow numerically. We will grow financially. We will grow spiritually. Our testimony in the city will be even stronger. You say, well, why would you say that? It's because God made us a promise. There's only one book in the Bible where it says, if you will read these words and do what I say, I will pour out a blessing upon you. And Revelation 1, 3, 22, 7 says, if you will study these words, obey these words, read these words, then God, he obligates himself to bless such a people. So get in a posture of being blessed because that is what is going to happen over the next couple of years. Speaking of the enemy... And his disgust for, disdain for, distractions of the book of Revelation. Listen to these words. The devil has turned thousands of people away from this portion of God's word. He does not want anyone to read a book that tells of his being cast out of heaven. Nor is he anxious for us to read of the ultimate triumph of his number one enemy, Jesus Christ. The more you study the book of Revelation, the more you will understand why Satan fights so hard to keep God's people away from it. It's a quote from Lewis Talbot. 
I know that as I study this book with you, there are going to be those who disagree with my position. And I understand that. Um, and you can be wrong if you want to. I mean, it's, that's okay. No, seriously. And I want to share with you the four primary uh, methods of interpretation in the book of Revelation. And there are going to be some discouragement from you because you're going to think, well, I thought you were in that camp, but really you're in this camp. And so I just, I just ask you to listen, just walk with us through this because I'm very passionate, I'm, I'm very determined in my conclusions and interpretations as I've studied eschatology. In fact, when I was a younger pastor, I actually changed my viewpoints on eschatology because of studying. And so some of you may be open to uh, changing your viewpoints uh, as well. I think all of this began for me when I was 17 years of age, about 10 years ago. I started, uh, when I was 17 years of age, I uh, took a trip to Lawton, Oklahoma with my mother and grandmother and my oldest brother. His name was Dad. That's what we called him. He was my great-grandfather. He was 97 years of age. He was in a nursing home in Lawton, Oklahoma. And he only had, we didn't know this, but he was going to live to be almost 100 years of age. He was one of the first graduates, I found out, of Southwestern Seminary that began in 1910. And I finished seminary a couple times, uh, 1990 and then again in 1995. And so I'm, I want to go see this guy. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I didn't know what all that entailed, but we drove out there and we visited this guy. And I was not prepared uh, for what I saw. They, they told me, now dad is a, is a preacher, and he's given his whole life to singing, writing, preaching about one topic and one topic only, and it's this topic of eschatology or the study of the end or end times. And so as a 17-year-old, I go into his room, and I, like I said, I'm just not prepared to meet somebody like this. I'd never met anybody like this. This guy, 97 years of age, was just beaming. And he was just, and he saw us, the whole family come in, and then he started singing about the Lord. And I thought, God, you might come any moment and get this guy. And I was, I was looking around going, this guy's pretty remarkable. He's written a number of hymns, and some of them were published. In fact, this one I'm going to read to you was published in 1951 called When Jesus Comes. And he wrote these words in one of our older Baptist hymnals. This troubled world will not go on forever. A better day will come for all God's own. There will be peace and war clouds will not gather. We'll find sweet rest around the Savior's throne. Oh, Jesus, come, some glad tomorrow. All war and strife will then forever cease. Oh, blessed day with no more pain and sorrow when he shall reign, the mighty Prince of Peace. And so as I listened to him and God began to birth in me, even as a, a young man, God began to birth in me a desire to study his word and to study this particular topic of the end times or revelation. Let me go ahead and tell you my primary goal as I teach this book to you is not so much knowledge as it is life transformation. Let me say that again. My, my desire, my preeminent desire is not so that Great Hills Baptist Church, we become knowledgeable because if we're not careful, knowledge puffs up and makes us uh, proud. Uh, we think that's academic or erudite or intelligent, but if we're not careful, it can cause us to be conceited and proud. And I'm telling you, there's, that's the last thing I want to happen because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So I want us to study with a humble, uh, a, a doulos servant kind of mentality. And all that we learn, I pray that we can use it so it'll make us more like Christ and make us more urgent to tell people about Christ. 
And I'm finding this is happening to me even again as I'm studying this book. It gives me a sense of immediacy. It gives me a sense of, of awareness that the people around me, most of whom in the great city of Austin, do not know the Lord. They're not prepared to meet the Lord. And so as I read these verses, and I really believe that Jesus Christ is coming again for his own, it births in me this evangelistic, missionary, missional fervor and fire that I may not have, but I do have as I study these words. Let me read Revelation 1, 1 to you this morning. It says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christos, which God gave him to show his servants things which must, some translations have certainly, some have shortly take place. And he sent and he signified it by his angel to his servant John. Well, as you begin this reading this book, you notice immediately that the primary emphasis is on the unveiling. It's interesting that word apocalypsis, that's where we get the English word apocalypse. That is the Greek word there translated revelation. It literally means to reveal or it has the idea of taking a veil down or showing and demonstrating who this person is of Jesus Christ. He says, this is a revelation about Christ and it was given to John the apostle to share with us. When I was first preaching on Revelation, I had a lady, uh, she sent me a, a note, and she was very sincere, and I, I can't help but just laugh a little bit when she wrote me this note. She says, hey, I know we're going to study Revelation, and man, that's a hard book to understand. Is there a Revelation for dummies? That's what she asked me. Is there a Revelation for dummies? And I, I don't want you to know that I'm going to go through every single verse. Man, we're going to talk about who is this great harlot? Who is this beast. Who are those 144,000? What's up with these seals and trumpets and bowls of judgment? Listen, we're going to cover all of that, and we're going to walk through it, and I'm going to give you multiple interpretations, and just like in our theology class on Thursday mornings, I'll tell you what a lot of people believe and what they teach, then I will share with you uh, my humble opinion of what I think the text is saying us. But I think it's very important that we begin with a strong foundation. I want to try to ask and then answer some key introductory questions that relate to the apocalypse, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. For example, who wrote this book? Who wrote the book of Revelation? When did he or she write it? And where or from where did they write it? Well, first of all, who wrote the book of Revelation? Well, as you can imagine, there are a lot of theories and a lot of interpretations, but most people believe it was the beloved apostle John. The same man who wrote the Gospel of John and the same man who wrote the first, second, and third epistle of John. He was the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, one of those called the sons of thunder. And it's interesting. Of all the disciples of Jesus Christ, remember how many original disciples were there? There were 12. How many of them betrayed him with a kiss and went away and hung himself? That would be one, Judas. Did you know? that all the 11 who were left died a violent, brutal martyr's death except one, and it's this guy. John did not die a martyr's death. Rather, he was exiled on a rock quarry of an island called Patmos. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But this is John. He's about 95 years of age when he receives this amazing book, this unveiling, this revelation of uh, Jesus Christ. Dionysius was a teacher in the early church. He died about A.D. 264. He said, no, it's not John, it's another John. It is a 
John out of Ephesus besides Pastor John. And you may find this interesting, but John served as a pastor for 30 years in a city called Ephesus. And so John had this lengthy pastoral tenure, this lengthy ministry. He was the only one that did not die of this violent martyr's death. So it's interesting, though, that in verse 1 when it says the revelation of Jesus Christ and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Okay, It gives his name, John, and it also precedes his Johannine name, John, with this word doulos, servant. I love that. He did not say, you got it. I'm one of the original 12. I'm the only one that has not died and been killed. I'm just this crafty soldier who's going to stay alive. And No, it's not that at all. In fact, he refers to himself as a slave, as a menial servant of Jesus Christ, a humble man up in years as he is going to finish incredibly strong. When did he write it? Now, there are two primary time frames as to when John wrote the book of Revelation. First of all, there's A.D. 64, during the reign of Nero. And then secondly, there is A.D. 95, during the reign of Domitian. When I was getting my Ph.D., it feels like many, many years ago, I had an assignment from one of my professors. I had to trace and study the first 300 years of Christendom, and I, and I had to study the persecution of the early church. And man, when I came to this guy, when I came to Domitian, it, was, it raised the hair on the back of my head. I mean, the brutal attacks that he unleashed as the Roman emperor against the church. And it was Domitian, and I believe it was A.D. 95 when John wrote it. It was Domitian who exiled John, who banished him to this uh, rock quarry island called uh, Patmos. So I believe it was around A.D. 95. One writer says this. His name is Dr. Robert Thomas. He teaches at John MacArthur Seminary. Dr. Paige Patterson, whom I love dearly, said, The greatest commentary ever written on the book of Revelation is written by this guy out of MacArthur Seminary named Robert uh, Thomas. Now, that was before Dr. Patterson wrote his own commentary on it, so I wonder if he still <laughs> thinks the same thing, which I have, by the way, and I'm studying and reading that as I'm preparing these messages. And this is what Dr. Thomas said. The Gospel of John was probably written between A.D. 85 and 90, the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John in the 90s, and the Apocalypse around A.D. 95, end of quote, and I believe he's right. Who wrote it? When did he write it? Where did he write it? He wrote it from an island, a little island off of the coast of Asia Minor called Patmos, it's six miles wide, 10 miles long, 150 miles southwest of Ephesus, 25 miles off the coast of Asia Minor, due west of Miletus. About 10 years ago, I actually traveled to Patmos and saw it with my eyes. I was with a group of, 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 of pastors and, and, and lay people, and it was really cool having Tim LaHaye on our trip, who wrote the book Left Behind. And his wife was with us, and they would teach. It was really phenomenal. And so we, we made it to Patmos on a Sunday. On the Lord's Day, we made it to Patmos, and they said, if you will come with me, we're going to peer into this cave, and in this very cave is where we believe the Apostle John wrote these words. And I'm telling you, it, it was one of the highlights of my life. I peered into that cave, and they said, stop, you can't go in. And I said, well, why can't we go in? And they said, there's a group of, of Greek Orthodox believers. They're having church down there, and we cannot interrupt them. 
I thought, well, that's pretty amazing. And they said, well, let's do this. We came out into this amphitheater outside, and for 60 minutes, a man by the name of Dr. Ed Heinsohn taught us the book of Revelation, all 22 chapters, in 60 minutes. Don't get any grand ideas. I, I promise you, it's going to take us a lot more than 60 minutes, 60 days, maybe even 60 months. But we stood out there as, as, a, as a church, as, as, as the body of Christ, and we just, we just listened to this man as he unpacked and revealed to us these amazing uh, 22 chapters. But it is Patmos, a rock quarry island. By the way, this was a place where Domitian would send rapists and murderers. And so John is on this island, and he's rubbing shoulders with some, some pretty cruel people. And he's banished there, never to leave there. And one writer puts it this way. One scholar says, John possibly labored in the rock quarries alongside the rogues and the slaves of the empire. Most likely he was chipping out the materials for pagan temples and state edifices. But in the midst of such agonies, the Lord was uniquely revealed to John in a vision. And I got to thinking about that statement. Isn't that a lot of times the way it is? When we're in the crucible of suffering... When we think that everybody has abandoned us and that maybe even God has abandoned us. In that, in that crucible of life where the vicissitudes and the trials and the, and the worries and the discouragement, they just feel like an avalanche and they are pouring over us. It is during those very moments that oftentimes God will do his greatest work in us and through us. You ever heard the statement that the night is always the darkest right before dawn? And so in John's life, I wonder if he was thinking that. I wonder if he was thinking, Lord, here I am. Is this what I get for serving you? I mean, is this what I get? All my friends, I mean, they have been uh, martyred, and here I am with these, with these murderers. And, and God, what is going on? I wonder if John had those thoughts, and, and if he did, God quickly remedied that and said, John, have I got assignment for you. Just be still and listen. So I want to say that as a word of encouragement to many of you today, because many of you, I know, because I feel so impressed in my spirit. Many of you are dealing with some very difficult, harsh situations in life. And you have a choice. You can do one of two things. You can quit or you can keep going. You can suffer and you can say, well, it's just not fair. And you can begin to shake your fist at God. And you can begin to walk away from God, walk away from the church, and walk away from all that you know is right. Or... You can say, God, life is not fair. And I am going through a very difficult time. But, Lord, I choose to serve you, and I choose to do what is right, come what may. Well, what are the interpretive methods of the book of Revelation? In other words, are there any, uh, any rubrics, if you will, or any paradigms that will help us as we walk through this book of Revelation? And actually there are. There are four different interpretive methods of the book of Revelation. Here in my notes I have at this point, if, if you don't get all of this, that's okay. Um, I'm not sure that I get all of this, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. Um, but I do make uh, our, our manuscripts available to you. If you want these, you can call our church office. Uh, eventually you can go online and you can download these. And all of these methods, all of these words are in this manuscript. And I would encourage you to do it. I think it would help you. There are four methods of interpretation. First of all, it's called the preterist interpretation. The preterist interpretation says that the book of Revelation is not a book about the future. It is a book about the past. 
and all of the events in the book of Revelation happened in the first century A.D. Now, some of you are looking at me like, really? You mean there are people that believe it? There are people sitting in this very room right now who believe that, and I want to tell you something. I fully respect that. Do I disagree with it? Yes. But I will say some of the brightest minds and theologians today believe that. They believe that all of it is a book of the past. It's called the preterist position. Number two, there is, um, however, another viewpoint. Well, actually, there are four, but the second one is called the historical, and that is the post-millennial viewpoint when you study the book of Revelation. And it says that all the events uh, happened, but they happened during the course of the past in church history. And that's thus the word historical. But what do you mean by this word post-millennial, Brother Danny? What does that word mean? Well, there are three different millennial viewpoints. And this one is the post-millennial, which goes like this. That Jesus Christ, he will come again after post a thousand years of millennial reign of peace on earth. And by the way... Before World War I and World War II, this was a very popular interpretation of Revelation. But most people have abandoned the post-millennial historical position because they say, this world is not getting any better. There is no ushering in of a thousand years of peace and prosperity and Jesus will come after that. No, this world is too bad. And so many people abandon this post-millennial historical position. Number three, there's what is called the idealist position. Many of my professors were the idealist. They were the what's called an amillennial position. Amillennial says that there are no thousand years of reigning of Jesus Christ on this earth. In fact, when you interpret the book of Revelation, you should not interpret it as a book of the past. You should not interpret it as a book of the future. In fact, it is just a book of symbols and metaphors. And many people believe that. Some in this church today believe that. But again, that's not my position. I'm I'm not an amillennial. I'm not a postmillennial. I'm not a preterist. But there's a fourth position, and it's called the futuristic premillennial view of Revelation. Future. The book is about the future. It has not happened yet. Revelation 1, 2, and 3 obviously has happened. But when you begin verse 4, there's something very interesting that happens because the church is not mentioned after chapter 4 until later on in 19. In other words, during 4 to 19, there is what is called this great wrath of God poured out on planet Earth. In chapters 4 through 19, you read things that I promise you, at least in my interpretation, these things have not happened. It's just impossible in my mind for these kind of cataclysmic, catastrophic events to have happened, I think there's things that will still happen uh, in the future. Not to confuse you, <laughs> not to confuse you, but there are three viewpoints about the futuristic premillennial position, and let me give them to you. There is the view that, well, it's called the historical premillennial view, and it says there is no rapture. Jesus is just going to come, and he's going to. Uh, He's going to take us to be with him, and he will usher in his thousand-year reign. I used to believe that. I actually used to preach that. I was heavily influenced by my professors at the time, and I was what you would call a historical, a premillennial view. But then I listened to people like Billy Graham and some others, and my grandmother and some others, and they began to sway me and influence me. And so here I am today, and I believe 
in the following. I believe, and I hope I'm right, (laughs) I really hope I'm right, that before the great day of wrath, God the Son, Jesus Christ, will come and He will get us and He will take us to heaven and we will miss seven years of great tribulation. That is called the pre-trib, pre-millennial position on Revelation. There are others who say, not so fast, my friend. We're not going to be taken out of here. They are called mid-tribulation people. They say that we're going to go through the first three and a half years of the tribulation, but we're going to miss the horrific last three and a half years. Jesus will come and get us, take us to heaven, then we'll come back after three and a half years. And then, as you might guess, there's what you call the post-trib people who say, nope, and this is Millard Erickson, and this is the historical premillennial people that influenced me. They know we're going to go through all of it. And we're going to experience all the literal hell that comes to earth. And that's really what it's going to be, okay? And when it happens, we're going to be faithful, we're going to make it through, and then Jesus will come and reign. And so those are the interpretive methods, if you will. There are four of them. Some of them, the preterists, deal with the history, with the past. Uh, The post-millennial is historical. It deals with the past of the years of the church. The idealist says it's all metaphor. And then finally, the more futuristic, the more literal premillennial uh, viewpoint. Martin Luther, it's interesting, said, I don't particularly like the book of Revelation because I don't think it has anything to do with Jesus Christ. And so I, I disagree with, with Martin Luther. I think the whole verse 1 when it says this is an unveiling of who Jesus is, I think it has so much to teach us about himself. Okay, so that is some of the the background I wanted you to get. The who, the when, the where. And number two, what are the interpretive background or framework? And then number three, let me ask this question and answer it, and then we're done. Why even study this stuff? Why even study Revelation, or why study history, or the future of the world? Why why take our time? I I forgot to tell you, there's actually a pan-millennial position, okay? And the pan-millennial said, it's all going to pan out, I'm not worried about it. Now, some people take that position. They said, I'm not not worried about it, it'll all work out. And, And I just want you to know, that's not me. And that's not, that's not who the church I'm going to pastor. We're not going to be flippant, uh, let's just don't worry about it, and let's don't really be deep in studying it. No, we're, we're going to be deep in studying it. And we're going to walk through all 22 chapters uh, because it is extremely important and it's very, uh, very biblical. Number one, it is biblical. That's why we study prophecy. For those of you that have studied your Old Testament, you know that the Old Testament is broken down into thirds. In the law, the prophets, and the writings. And so one-third of the Old Testament is written by men of God who are looking into the future. When you come to the New Testament, obviously you have an entire book that is dedicated, I believe, to the future. But I came across this, and I found this was interesting, that one-fifth of the Bible, when it was written... The events had not yet taken place or they were still in the future. The crown jewel of all prophecy and revelation, even in the Old Testament and especially in the New, is not the first advent but the second advent of Christ. In fact, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding many of the Old Testament passages unless you keep this second advent of Christ in mind. And by the way, the Apostle John assumes 
that we know our Old Testaments very well. When I went through this book the first time in 18 months and studying it, so many times I would reference back to the Old Testament because John doesn't explain himself. He just assumes that you and I know the Old Testament. The second advent is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament. There are only 210 chapters in the entire 27 books of the New Testament. So we could say more than in every chapter this topic is is mentioned 318 times. So it is biblical. Number two, studying this will increase our knowledge of and devotion to uh, Jesus Christ. Let Let me revisit this a moment. This is something that I feel so very passionate about. And I think in my heart, I believe that the reason God said in 1-3 and 22-7 is I'm going to bless you is because we're going to make so much of Jesus Christ. We're going to adore Him. We're going to worship Him. We're going to learn more about Him. And our, and our love and our passion and our joy in Christ, it's just going to be exponentially increased. And as that happens, I believe God looks down upon a people who will do that and say, I will bless you. You see, God loves it when you brag on His Son. Okay? Whether you're sharing the gospel with someone one-on-one, or whether you're preaching the Word of God publicly like I am doing, or whether you're in a small group or in a Bible study, when you make much of Jesus, I'm telling you guys, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, they just say, "Woo, man, we're going to pour it out on you. We're going to bless you. So it's going to be very beneficial. And we're going to learn, we're going to study, and I think it's going to be an exciting time. Listen to the way Jesus Christ is described. And y'all pardon me if I just get a little bit excited as I read this to you. Here is how. He is described in in this book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the living one, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He is the one with a double-edged, a two-edged sharp sword that comes out of his mouth. He is the Son of God. He is the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like burnished bronze. He is the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He is the one who is holy and true. He is the holder of the key of David who opens and no one shuts, and he shuts and nobody opens. He is the amen, the faithful and the true witness. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. And 12 times he is called the Lamb of God. He is the Lord, holy and true, the one who is called faithful and true. He is the Word of God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is Christ, Messiah, ruling on this earth with his glorified saints. And finally, he is Jesus, the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. All of those accolades is the way he is described. That's why I think Martin Luther got it wrong. I think the whole book is about Jesus Christ. And those descriptions that I just read, they all center on this one key individual, Jesus. Number three, it's biblical, increases our knowledge And it's extremely beneficial. I've touched base on this, but let me just say it one more time. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself to be blessed. I really can't explain it. Except that God just loves it when we brag on His Son. But let this be a word of encouragement to you. Because there are going to come some times in this study 
And they're going to be hard. There are going to be some difficult moments. There are going to be some moments, there's even moments like this in the book of Revelation, where they literally catch their breath and their silence because of the gravity and the enormity and the severity of the wrath of God that will be poured out on this planet. And so let me encourage you, please tuck this in your mind. Let this be just a little caveat in your mind to remind you that when those hard times come, hang in there, be faithful until the end. And I really believe God will reward you for it. I love David Jeremiah. Many of y'all know I enjoy studying him and listening to him preach. Had the privilege of going out and meeting him in May in his church there in San Diego. A prince of a man in his 70s, going strong, pastored that church for 30 plus years. And um, here's what he says about Revelation. Talk about it being beneficial. Talk about it encouraging you. He juxtaposes the book of beginnings, which is called, help me, Genesis, with the book of endings, which is called Revelation. Listen to the way he compares the two. Revelation is the book of completion and consummation. In Genesis, you have the commencement of heaven and earth, and in Revelation, you have the consummation of heaven and earth. In Genesis, you have the entrance of sin and the curse. In Revelation, you have the end of sin and the curse. In Genesis, you have the dawn of Satan and his activities, but in Revelation, you have the doom of Satan and his activities. And I want to stop right there and say again, this is why he will stir the minions and the host of hell against us, because listen, if you were the devil, Would you want me up here talking about your doom, your future judgment, you being thrown in the lake of fire and being toast forever and ever? No, he hates this. He despises what I'm going to do. And that's why I really, really, really need you to pray for me like you've never prayed for me. I'm serious. Prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord because the devil will come against me. He will come against my family and it will be ugly. Okay? And it will be his desire to absolutely kill me and take me out. I promise you that. So I'm asking you that you would pray for me. That you, I have 30 men. Praise God for these 30 men. Every single day I have a man praying and fasting for me as, as your pastor as I'm preaching. And may your tribe increase. It will talk about his doom. In Genesis you have the tree of life relinquished. But in Revelation you have the tree of life regained. In Genesis death makes its entrance. In Revelation death makes its exit. In Genesis, sorrow begins, but in Revelation, sorrow is forever banished, and God rules and reigns the day. There's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more fighting, no more cancer, no more heart attacks, no more divorce, no more difficulty, no more schisms, no more heartaches, none of that. It's all over, and God comes, and He saves the day, and He reigns. He reigns from that moment and all into eternity, and we as His children We get to be a part of that and to reign with Him. I tell you, it's going to be fun. It's going to be absolutely amazing. The first five words of the book are so powerful. The, I know you're not supposed to say the when it's not followed by a vowel, but I'm going to say it anyhow. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, this book scares the daylights out of me. I'm going to tell you something. If you know Christ, you have nothing to fear. If you don't know Christ, you have everything to fear. And if you're here today and there's never been a time when you've embraced the Lord as your king, as your master, I invite you to do this today.
become a part of God's kingdom, become a part of God's church, be, be baptized by immersion and identify with the kingdom of God, identify with the people of God, because we're going to need you. Because times are going to get a whole lot worse before they get eternally better. Some of you are here today, and you, you need to be serious about the Lord. You need, to, you need to come out of your complacency. You need to come out of your box. And you need to take a more definitive stand for Christ where you live, where you work, where you play, where you go to school. And, and I want to encourage you in that. I really, really do. I don't know if it's just the older I'm getting, the, the more encouraging I want to become. That's interesting. I never thought I would say that. I thought the older I get, the more polemical I would become, the more... Let's go, let's go, come on, people. But it seems like, I don't know if it's called mellowing out or whatever it is, but the older I become, the more I want to encourage you and build you up in your faith. Now, I'm going to have my moments where I'm going to point my finger at you and holler at you and shout at you. I get that, but I really want to encourage you because there's somebody here today that you need encouragement. You need somebody maybe to pray for you. And there are others that need a church. You need a church home. You need a place that you can become a part of and you can band with us. And it's going to be interesting because I just don't know what all is going to happen. I really don't know what's going to happen as we study this book. But I do know this. God, will, he's going to raise up some people, and you're going to come and be a part of us. And if you're interested, right after the service, we're going to move right into our time of uh, becoming a member of the church and what that, what that looks like. So let me pray for us, and we'll have our invitation. God, we love you so much, and we thank you that you have not left us without a witness. Thank you, Lord, that there are some things hard to understand. What is, who is this Antichrist person coming? What is the mark of the beast with the three sixes? And who is this Babylonian harlot of Revelation 17? Who are these 144,000 witnesses in Revelation 12? What are all these judgments? God, there's so many things about this book that intrigue us. But before we ever get to that, Lord Jesus, I really want us to start strong. I want us to understand the, the background and the history and the context. Lord, I pray for our people. I pray for the amillennialist and the preterist as well as the premillennial folks that we will all be blessed and learn. And God, we won't argue and fuss with each other and, and, and it all cause an uproar because I think that's what the devil would love. He would love more than anything to distract us and harm us. So help us to be agreed in a... In a in a way, and disagree in a way, in an agreeable fashion. So, Lord God, I pray now as we stand, as we sing, Holy Spirit of God, would you just move upon us? And may there be people today who are saved and encouraged. May you grow this church, God. I I'm asking you publicly to deepen Great Hills Baptist Church in our doctrine, in our theology, and widen us, Lord, in numbers. Add people, God, to your church May our finances grow. May we be able to do more and more for the kingdom of God and for the furtherance of your dear son. So, Lord, in a moment when we stand, may you just tabernacle with us in a special and a sweet way. I pray for our pastors, pray for our deacons, pray for our biblical counselors as they, as they greet people and as we minister to one another. If there's anybody here today, God, that needs you, that God needs you to come through in a powerful way. May they step forward. And may they allow us the privilege of praying for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you. Thank you. You've been wonderful listening today. Thank you so much. Let's just enter into a time of praise and worship the Lord. And if, again, if you need somebody to pray with you, you need somebody to encourage you, 
we invite you to come even now.